Please remain standing for the reading of the scriptures for today's sermon from Pastor Brandon. The text is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. If you are able to follow along, that, that would be very good. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You may be seated. Henry David Thoreau once penned these famous words, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. But without commenting on the original intention of his statement, I would like to posit this to us this morning, that what should be true of the Christian is that we lead lives of deep contentment, deep contentment. Over the past several weeks, we have been considering this subject matter of worry or anxiety as it challenges the Christian in his or her walk with the Lord Jesus Christ as members of the kingdom of Christ. The Christian indeed is challenged on many fronts with having an unhealthy, fearful restlessness that regrets not having more control over the circumstances of life. It indeed is a challenge to the Christian. So our Lord Jesus, during his lifetime, in teaching his disciples, his followers, provided them this loving imperative. Be not anxious. And then we come here to this text in the book of Philippians And we find that there is similar language where the Apostle Paul says the same thing. He issues forth this loving imperative. Be not anxious. Be not anxious. This anxiety of which Jesus speaks, this anxiety of which Paul speaks, has as its opposite a deep Settled contentment. Deep contentment is an anchor that keeps one fixed when all about him is moving. Keeps one firm when life would pull and stretch one in very uncomfortable ways. Deep contentment, that's what God would have for us. As his children. Not a being content from time to time, as though it was like a luxury to enjoy such an occasion, 
but rather a contentment that actually characterizes the whole of our lives on a very consistent basis. That's what he desires for us, followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we ensure that we do live with this deep contentment? What does the Apostle Paul teach us about how we ought to obey this loving imperative, be not anxious? Well, the answer might come as a surprise to us. Could it be that we're substituting or not substituting the path that the Apostle Paul would have us walk as a substitute to the path of anxiety? Could it be that there's another path altogether that he is prescribing for us in this text as an alternative to the path of anxiety? Well, he does provide that for us. He prescribes for us in this text, calls us to obedience to two clear commands that takes us down this path of contentment. Usually when we're given a command, we oftentimes will immediately think of it in a negative way. Generally because we might associate a command to us with something that's going to rub against our will, against our own heart's desire or choice. But for instance, if an employer says to an employee, go retrieve that product manual from my desk, that's an altogether different command than the employer saying to the employee, go retrieve that bonus check in your name that is on my desk. Wow. That's the kind of command you welcome. That's the kind of command that you you hear and you readily obey, isn't it? And this is the way that we ought to receive the commands of God. All of His commands. For indeed, He tells us that none of them are burdensome. None of them are burdensome. He comes from our loving Father. But some of God's commands are especially delightful. Some of His commands are, are what you could say are glorious commands that provide even a ring in the ear that is just most pleasurable. And in our struggle with anxiety, our struggle with worry, that Jesus and the Apostle Paul are wanting to dispel from our lives, knowing that God calls us to not be anxious and to not worry, he provides us this other path, calling us to obedience to two glorious commands. And that's going to be our subject matter this morning, brothers and sisters. The path of these two commands that we're going to look at this morning lead us not to lives full of discontentment and lives full of worry and anxiety and deep unsettledness, but rather these two glorious commands that he's going to provide to us in this text leads us down a path of contentment that helps us to be not anxious. Well, these two glorious commands that we're going to consider is rejoice and the other is request. 
That's the path that Paul's going to bring us down that leads to this deep contentment. Rejoice and request. Well, let's begin with rejoice. Paul actually doesn't provide us this command once. He provides us this command twice. Because he says here in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say it. Rejoice. (laughs) Perhaps he provides it to us twice because we might be prone to responding with perplexity. Which may be your own response this morning when you hear the apostle say rejoice. And and unless you didn't hear it the first time, I need to impress this upon you again. Indeed, I say rejoice. You might say, what? Rejoice always, Paul? How is that even possible living in this present age that is full of troubles, Full of suffering, full of disappointment, rife with difficulty. How can you say rejoice always, Paul? Maybe that's why he says it to us twice. This might remind us of another passage of Scripture. Again, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And at the end of that letter, he writes... Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. You see, the accent in that passage is not on life circumstances. The Apostle Paul does not say for us to give thanks because of all circumstances, Nor does he call us to rejoice because of our circumstances. But rather in 1 Thessalonians, he says you are to rejoice and give thanks in the midst of your circumstances. You can actually rejoice not because of them, but you as a Christian may be able to rejoice even in the midst of of even difficult circumstances. And why is that? Why is it that in our text this morning, he says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. It's because that rejoicing that we're called to is a rejoicing in the Lord. That's why he can say that. He says rejoice In the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Our circumstances are not to determine our inner joy. That comes from a deep contentment that is found in the Lord. I do not find contentment in the circumstances. But I actually can rejoice amid those circumstances. Because the anchor of my rejoicing is in the Lord. In the Lord, we have every reason to rejoice. And not only rejoice, but rejoice always. And it's for this reason that Paul does not say to us to be prepared to rejoice some of the time. No, because this rejoicing to which he calls us is a rejoicing not about our circumstances nor because of them, 
but rejoice in the Lord. That's the reason why he can say always and not just some of the time. Though the fires of the furnace are turned up sevenfold of what is usual. And it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We are still to be found standing content for the same reason that they stood content. It's because there was a fourth party with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's why. That's why they could be even content in those circumstances. Because that contentment was found in the Lord. The one with them amid that fiery trial. We rejoice in the Lord who is with us even amid our disappointment and circumstances. Can, can you and I truly rejoice when the memory of past sins vex our soul. Can we? Can we truly rejoice when dear ones are suffering? Or when one is being persecuted? Can one even rejoice when he or she is facing soon and certain death? Well, here sits Paul, the one that is penning this very command. And think for just a minute about Paul's circumstances. Paul remembered his past sins. And they were much deeper than I could ever imagine. His friends were truly suffering. Ones who came to faith through his ministry. And he, even now, is a prisoner facing possible death. And yet he is the very one writing this letter and calling upon the church to rejoice likewise as he rejoices. Isn't that remarkable? Did he not even sing praises to God while he was in the dungeon? Circumstances alone do not determine the condition of the heart and the mind of the believer. The Christian can be joyful within when all is dark and dreary without. What's going to help us carry out this glorious command of rejoice always? This may sound a little strange to the ear, but what's going to help us? is to actually cultivate that joy. To cultivate that joy. Each day, we must discipline ourselves to actually cultivate it. What a glorious discipline, right? <laughs> to cultivate joy. Jeremiah Burroughs writes it this way, to be well skilled in the mystery of Christian contentment is the duty glory and excellency of a Christian. We must consciously and deliberately meditate our hearts on all of the reasons of having unspeakable joy. We actually have to set our minds upon it, have our hearts immersed in it. And perhaps 
it's no wonder that Paul goes on in verse 8 to do what? What does he write to us? He says, whatever. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, watch it, meditate on these things. Cultivate your joy, as it were, by actually consciously and deliberately setting your mind upon that which you ought to be setting your mind upon. Immerse your heart in these things so as to cultivate deliberately this very joy. How much is worthy of praise in the life of a Christian? How much is worthy of rejoicing? Could it not be in part that God included you as the apple of his eye even before you were born? Even before he said, let there be light in Genesis chapter 1. That's how long ago he set his love upon you. That's worth rejoicing in and setting one's mind upon. What about that you have a Savior who has made it his joy to endure the cross? He made it his joy, the joy set before him. To endure the shame of the cross all for your good so that you might actually have true genuine rejoicing over the grace of God extended to you through Jesus Christ. The one who bore all of your sin and all of your transgressions so that you may call God Father and rejoice in the God of your salvation. Isn't that remarkable? What about that the creator of all things has called you into existence? Not just once, but twice. The day that you were born into this world and the day that the Spirit of God took hold of you and gave you life eternal so that you went from a state of deadness spiritually to a state of life spiritually, giving you a different appetite, a different goal, a different telos in life. All because God had chosen to come and to convict you of your sin. To show you the depth of your need. And to show you the glory, the majesty, the worthiness of Christ Jesus who has taken away all of your sins. Such that by faith in Christ Jesus you may have eternal life. And he continues to provide for us. Such that we lack nothing. What about that God is actively pursuing you with all of his goodness and his mercy? Psalm 23, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you. Jonathan Edwards called those the hound dogs of heaven. The hound dogs of heaven. His goodness and his mercy are pursuing you. They're going to hunt you down. That's your God. He's orchestrating all things in your life for your welfare and for your good and for his glory. There's not one thing in your life that is apart from him. 
Oh, the manifold things that are worthy of praise in our lives over which we ought to rejoice. We could meditate every morning in our Christian life and still not exhaust all of the reasons to rejoice. Is that not true, Christian? You couldn't even exhaust the reasons to truly rejoice in your God. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's where our attention is to be set. Oh, brethren, I implore us this morning, cultivate that joy. Cultivate this rejoicing in your life. And in so doing, you're going to find your heart rejoicing always. And as your heart is deepened in its joy, it's deepened in its contentment in the Lord. Leaving you anxious for nothing. Well, Paul goes on to another glorious command, does he not? Not only this glorious command of rejoice, but he also speaks of this other command of request. Look with me at verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here, the apostle explicitly provides us the opposite of requesting. The opposite of requesting is harboring anxiety. He provides us this juxtaposition between the two. The opposite of requesting is anxiety. Anxiety is cultivated. We're coming back to that word again, aren't we? Anxiety is cultivated as we harbor the concerns of this life with an unhealthy worry. Paul is only echoing our Lord Jesus Christ, is he not? Where the Lord Jesus in the passages we've looked at over the previous weeks, he says, do not be anxious about your life, O you of little faith. Don't be anxious by fretting, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And how often do we say, well, but but what about this? Like the disciples who were talking with Jesus and Jesus asked them, you know, all we got is this five loaves and two fish and there's nearly 10,000 people in front of us here. I wonder what we're going to do. It's as if the disciples say, well, what, what about, what about the, this, this number amount of people? We don't have enough food for them. Forgetting all along of who was in their midst. So Paul says in this passage, not that you should be anxious about some things. Nor does he say be anxious about the big things, but don't be anxious about the little things. It is very important that we absorb into our hearts this morning Paul's words, be anxious for nothing. Yeah, that includes that big thing. That includes that small thing. It's not just some things that he calls us not to be anxious about. Kind of as mind-blowing, isn't it? Be anxious for absolutely nothing. Well, how am I to be anxious for nothing? Bring everything. How do I be anxious for nothing? Bring everything. He uses deliberately a play on words here. Be anxious for nothing, but bring everything to God. 
by prayer and supplication. Bring it to God. But I need to shoulder this. He doesn't want you to shoulder that. But but I need to carry this portion of this one. No, he doesn't even want you to carry that portion. That's why the Apostle Peter, in his first letter, he doesn't say, cast some of your big cares upon him because he cares for you. What does the Apostle Peter say in First Peter? He says, cast all of your cares, all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. The reason that Paul can use this blanket language of, of nothing, being anxious for nothing, but in everything bring it to God, is the same reason why Peter can say, don't just cast some of your cares or the biggest, your, your large cares, but all of your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Is that both of these apostles understand the root of anxiety and worry. And they understand the remedy of it. Do you and I truly believe that God cares for us? Truly believe that? Do you truly believe that he's able to carry everything? He's able to carry every care that you have. Do you truly believe that in the depth of your being? God cares for me. We don't if we're harboring anxiety. Harboring anxiety says in effect father you're not big enough father you're not strong enough father you're not available enough father you don't care enough that's what in effect we're saying when we harbor anxiety by prayer and supplication send Every request his way. Every request. Make your requests known unto God. Ask and it shall be given you. That is how you live life, brethren. That's how you live life. You rejoice in the Lord and you bring every anxiety to the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord my God, the God of my salvation. And I bring every request to the Lord my God who cares for me. That's how you live life. It's both. What glorious imperatives. What glorious commands. Rejoice in the Lord. Bring all of your requests to the Lord your God. And just as rejoicing is that which is cultivated, guess what? Also requesting is cultivated as well. Our prayer life is to be cultivated. Anxiety breeds discontentment. But you know what prayer and cultivation coupled with thanksgiving breeds? It breeds deep contentment. God's designed prayer that way. Have you ever thought about that? God designed prayer. And he designed prayer in part as a remedy to this problem in our life. Perhaps my heart worries in a way that's not healthy as a Christian, maybe because I'm not actually bringing all of my requests to my God. 
whom I am convinced cares for me. It is God that desires this deep, settled contentment in our hearts. A contentment that remains still even amidst the greatest perfect storm. Even amidst the darkest valley for the Christian, he or she can say, it is well with my soul. It truly is well. Oh yes, all about me is dark and I am in a very deep valley where it is dark and I have every reason to not be content, but thanks be to God I find my contentment in Him and I rejoice in Him and I can bring all of my requests unto Him knowing that He cares for me. Is it contentment that you need? I know this sounds so elementary. Ask Him. Is it freedom from a burden? Ask Him. Is it the assurance of forgiveness of your sins? Ask Him. Is it clothing that you need? Ask Him. Is it food that you need? Give us our daily bread. Ask Him. Speak to your God who is your Father. You don't even have to be formulaic here. Address him as a child. Go to your father, your perfect father, your good father, your caring father, your able father, your available father. Go to him and pour out your requests. Pour it out like a spilled pitcher of water. Pour out your request with a thankful heart. Thankful that you know him in Christ Jesus. Thankful that he hears you in Christ Jesus. That he has provided for you in Christ Jesus. And he will continue to provide for you and never let you go. And he'll keep pursuing you with the hound dogs of heaven. His goodness and his mercy. You'll find that he's not only able to address all of your requests... But you know what else you're going to find? But that in hearing the requests of his children and addressing those requests, it's his greatest delight. It's his greatest delight. I imagine that most men who have children find great delight when their daughter or son comes up on their lap and just pours out their requests and pours out what they delight in shares their heart with their daddy. Our God delights to hear the voices of his children lifted unto him. And you know what the psalmist says? The Lord just takes his ear and does this. He delights to hear. Well, in closing, why? Why should we rejoice and request always and in all circumstances? The answer is found in verse 5. Look with me again. The Lord is at hand. Now this could be taken to mean that Christ is present and he's near us always. And of course that is true by the Holy Spirit. But this is most directed in reference to the nearness of Jesus' return. Look with me over at chapter 3. 
it's probably on the same page. If not, it's just one page over. Philippians chapter 3, and look with me at verse 20 and 21, where the apostle writes, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he's able to subdue all things to himself. We eagerly wait for the Savior. The curtains will close on this present age. It has a due date. The curtains will close with all of its attempts to bring anxiety and discontentment. The curtains are going to close on it. And our mere breath of a life that is passing like dust on the ground We will forever rejoice in Him with glorious bodies, totally void of any discontentment, any anxiety, and any worry. Just like a few weeks ago, whenever we set our minds on the reality that there's not one angel in glory that is anxious, not a single one. And why is that? Because they're in the presence of their creator that loves them. All of the spirits of the saints that have gone to glory and are in the presence of Christ now, not one of them is discontent. Because they're in the presence of their God and Father that loves them. But until that day when Christ returns, the Lord is about giving us his contentment and his peace now. Now, even as we struggle with it. And He will, as we rejoice and we request. What's the result of our obedience to those two glorious commands? Well, look at verse 7. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, you see. He's speaking to the church militant. He's speaking to the church below. He says, now he will give you that peace. He'll guard your hearts from despair. He'll guard your hearts from anxiety and unneeded worry. For he will give you that deep peace and settled contentment that we Christians so long for and have the privilege to have in him. Well, may God give us the strength to cultivate that rejoicing, to cultivate that joy, these two glorious commands. For as we read earlier in Psalm 91, which we will echo in a song in just a moment, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Brothers and sisters, as we rejoice in him, as we bring our requests to him, we are trusting in him who is our refuge. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are a needy people, and we know that we will be a needy people until Christ returns or you call us home. Father, you are well aware of our struggle with unsettledness in our soul, worrying over things in this life. 
And Father, we know that you have called us to not be anxious. And oh, how we're grateful to you that you provide for us in your word that on which our minds ought to be set, that in which we ought to engage and cultivate in our lives so as to help us not be anxious and worry. Father, we pray you would help us with these two glorious commands. Help us, Father, to ever be rejoicing in you, who is our rock and our strength. And cause us, Father, to ever be requesting and bringing our supplications to you, not bearing the burden of anything that you would not have us carry. Oh, Father, cause our hearts to be stirred even this day in the knowledge that you care for us. For, Father, we pray all of these things in the name of him who loved us and gave himself for us to give us this eternal peace, our Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll receive now the blessing from the throne of God to the people of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord, now and forevermore. Amen.